The scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, 17 uh, through 26. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So all over the world today... People are doing what we're doing. I mean, in nations all over the world, millions and millions of people are gathering to celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And to understand why this is happening, we need to keep in mind that for the Christian church, the resurrection of Christ has never been merely a metaphor, all right? Sometimes People will want to view it that way, that this is an old story that is told because it has symbolic power. It's just a metaphor of, what, the newness of life, the revival of hope, return of spring after a long winter. Um, It's it's never been merely a metaphor for the church, never. Going, Going back to the very beginning, Christians have maintained that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was an actual event that took place in history. There was, a, there was a Jewish man in the first century named Jesus, or Yeshua, as he would have pronounced it. He claimed to be Israel's Messiah. The Roman soldiers arrested him, publicly crucified him, and three days later, he was alive. The, the, uh, the church, the Christian movement, was founded by people who claimed to be eyewitnesses of that, even even though for many of them, making that claim eventually led to their death. But but they they never renounced it. They said, listen, we saw this. We saw him die. We saw him buried. We saw him alive. They were eyewitnesses of the risen Savior. Um, One of those eyewitnesses is the man who wrote the words that Raul just read for us from 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle wrote these words to one of the early churches to explain to them the significance of the Easter message, the the importance, why it matters that Christ rose from the dead. So to explore that passage with you, I I want to approach it with two very basic questions. And my two questions are, so what? And now what? All right, by so what, I mean, why does this message matter? Why is it important? By now what, I mean, how should this impact the way we live? All right, so to begin, Christ is risen, so what? Why does that matter? 
Well, in, in, in these verses, the apostle, he, he spells out two implications, significant implications of the fact that Christ has risen. And one of them is this. He says, because Jesus is risen, we can know, I mean, absolutely know, that we, our sins, have been forgiven by God. He, verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Now, the converse thought is, if Christ has been raised, you are no longer in your sins, right? In other words, you are, believer, forgiven by God. Now, the, the Bible teaches that um, Jesus died willingly. He died willingly to offer his life as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. And just very briefly, the Bible says that all of us have sinned, everyone, no exception. We've all been selfish, unloving, unkind, greedy, unbelieving. There are no exceptions. Because of that, we all deserve God's judgment. But the Bible says that because he loves us so much, in the person of his son, God came into this world just to take the judgment that's deserved by all those who trust in him, to take that judgment for us on the cross. First, First John 4 verse 10 says, God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, here's the question. All right, pastor says, Jesus died for my sins. How do I know that really happened? I mean, how, how, how do I know that atonement was accomplished? How do, how do I know that God's divine judgment that my sins deserve has been satisfied? How do, how do we know that the Father counts us as righteous on the basis of the death of His Son? How do, how do we know this really happened? The answer to that question is, we know this. We know this because Jesus walked out of the tomb, because He rose. Um, here's a way to think of it. When a crime is committed, um, someone is arrested, and they are sentenced to jail, right? When their sentence has been served, they are set free. Why are they set free? Because the penalty for their crime has been paid, right? The, the, the opening of the doors of that prison signifies payment is no longer needed for that crime. When the, when the doors to Christ's tomb open, that's to signify that payment is no longer needed for our crimes. He has, fully, he has fully paid, he has fully atoned, fully paid, fully satisfied the demands of, of God's justice in our behalf. Romans 4.25 puts it this way. It says, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. To, to assure us that that happened. One pastor uh, speaking on this put it this way. He said, when Christ died and shed his blood for our transgressions, he atoned for the sins that killed him. Since those sins are now covered and paid for, there's no reason for Christ to remain dead. His death was solely to pay for our sins. When they were perfectly paid for, there remained no warrant for his death anymore. He could not stay in the grave. So what, why does Easter matter? One implication, because Christ has risen, we can know we're forgiven. Now, that's more important than we might imagine. As, uh, 
in my experience as a pastor, over 30 years as a pastor, I don't think I've ever met a Christian who doesn't know that Jesus died for our sins. Everyone knows that. We all say that. We teach it to our children. We, we all know God is merciful. He forgives. Everybody knows that. But here's what I've discovered. So many of us, even though we know that on one level, on another level, deep inside, we don't really feel it. Just feel forgiven. Maybe, maybe that describes you. Some, for some people, it's, um, it's the memory, the specific memory of something from their past. One thing that just causes them such regret and shame, just, just to feel, I've been forgiven for that. For many others, it's just this kind of vague, constant sense of God's disapproval. God's not really happy with me. He's not, I'm not serving him enough. I'm not giving enough. I'm not praying enough. He's not happy. Just this vague sense, God must be so disappointed with me. Christian, let me tell you, do you know what the empty tomb declares to you? It's just God's declaration. The empty tomb says, your sins are gone. They're gone. He, when he walked out of that tomb, it's, it's God the Father's way of just saying, full satisfaction has been made for all of your sin. There's no more, there's no more displeasure in the Father's heart towards you at all. They're gone. He, Hebrews 7.25 puts it this way. It says, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Because he died? Yeah, because he died. But that's not what it says here. It says he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives. Because he always lives to intercede for them. See, the, the resurrection is just as much a part of God's deliverance for, of us from our sins as is his death on the cross. So, Christ is risen. So what? Why does it matter? Well, listen, for the believer, it just... It just this tells us we can know we're forgiven. Second implication <laughs> for the Christian, just the, the empty tomb tells us we no longer need to fear death. We no longer need to fear it. Verse 20, Paul writes, Christ has risen from the dead, the first fruits, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. By fallen asleep, he means those who have died. So when, when he says Christ is the first fruits of those who have died, what does he mean by that? Well, here's what he means. He means that though Jesus may be the first to rise from the dead, he will not be the last. He, he, he will, those who've trusted in him when he returns, we will rise. We just sang about that. We will rise. He rose we will rise. In fact, Jesus said in John 4, 14, verse 19, he said, because I live, you will live. For, starting again in today's passage from verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And don't you love this last line? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will be destroyed. On, on the last day, um, here's what we will discover. 
Christ's empty tomb will not be the only empty tomb, right? The tombs of those who've died in him will also be empty. We will rise. He conquered death. Now, five, five years ago, um, five years ago on Palm Sunday, something horrific happened. Um, you, may have, you may have heard about it. It was, it was in all the headlines. Five years ago on, on Easter Sunday, um, Coptic Christians in Egypt went to church, and there were two bombings that took place simultaneously, two different churches, an act of terrorism. Forty-five Christians lost their lives in church that day, and over 100 were injured. And it was in headlines all over the world. Seven days after that, something astonishing took place in Egypt, and it didn't make the headlines. You know what happened? Seven days after that bombing, thousands of Coptic Christians all over Egypt got out of bed, put on their best clothes, and went to church. They went to church to worship Jesus, the very place where a week before their brothers and sisters had been killed. And if someone had stopped them and said, why, why are, don't you know how dangerous this is? Why are you going to church today? You know what they would have told you? Because he's risen. Because Christ is risen. I don't have to fear death anymore. So the question, so what? Jesus rose, so what? Well, it means, Christian, your sins are gone, gone. You can't find them if you look for them. And death has been conquered. So, so uh, if you just think about it, logically, if we no longer ever, ever, ever have to fear God's displeasure, and we no longer have to fear the grave, what do we still have to fear? And the answer is nothing. Amen? Nothing. If, you, if you've read the, the accounts in the Gospels of, the, of the, the day of resurrection where Jesus appears to different people, and the accounts vary a, a, a little bit in their details, and he appears to people in different ways, but there's one, there's one consistent message. On, on the first, the day of resurrection, every time Jesus ever appears to anyone, he always has the same mass, message for everyone. You know what it is? Fear not. He just says that to everyone. Fear not. Fear not. Fear is gone. So what? Jesus rose from the dead. I'll tell you so what. Believer in Christ, you have absolutely nothing to fear. Amen? Now, the next question is now what? <laughs> now, now that we know that he's risen, for believers, how should, how should this change the way we live? Well, there's a very interesting verse, verse uh, 19 just want to draw your attention to it before, before I close. Here's what the apostle writes. He says, if only for this life, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Now, the apostle here is not just making um, a general statement about the human condition. He's not, you know, trying to to speak towards nihilism, you know, if people say, if this life is all there is, what's the purpose for anything? He's not, he's not addressing, this is not a general statement about the human condition. This is a very personal statement about himself and his colleagues in ministry and the early Christians that he, he knew in the church. He's, he's saying, if only for this life we have in, hope in Christ, he says, we, we of all people, 
are most to be pitied. One, uh, one version translates that this way. If what we have hoped for in the anointed one does not take us beyond this life, then we are world-class fools. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, he's saying to his friends of Christians, he's saying, guys, if Jesus didn't rise, we've all wasted our lives. Now let me ask you a question. In, in, what, in what kind of situation would it make sense for a person to say that. If there's no resurrection, I've wasted my life. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that on a cruise ship, right? You spent the whole day lounging at the pool, you're now in the buffet line, you're loading your plate with, you know, crab's legs or whatever, you know, and you turn to your friend, oh man, if, the, if Jesus, if there's no resurrection, we've wasted our lives. It wouldn't make sense in that context. You, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't say that after... Um, after your Christian political action committee raised millions of dollars from wealthy donors and you got your candidate elected to office and now you are assured that your, that your interests will be defended in Congress, you wouldn't say, oh, if there's no resurrection, we've wasted our lives. You would see that that statement, it makes no sense in a context of power. It makes no sense in a context of privilege. Makes no sense in a context of prosperity. Listen, what, what kind of person would say, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied? Listen, those words only make sense, don't they? Coming from the lips of someone who's left everything and risked everything to follow Jesus. And that's what the apostles. And their colleagues and many of the early Christians had done. They just basically, they risked everything for this. So the apostle here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am so convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. I am I'm so convinced that my sins are forgiven. I'm so convinced that the grave has been conquered. I'm, I'm so convinced of all these things. I am going to live fearlessly. For the glory of Christ. I have nothing to fear. So the question, how, how should the Christian message impact the lives of believers? I, I would say this, Christians, um, we, we ought to be praying and saying, God, would you give me at least one area of my life where, where uh, if people look at me, my life will not make sense if Jesus didn't rise? Just give me one area of my life. But what would that look like? Well, maybe someone would look at you and say, you forgave that person? You forgave her? Why would you do that? And you say, because Jesus rose. My sins are forgiven. Why would I hold hers against her? Or, or, or someone looks at you and says, I looked at your tax return. How much money did you give last year to charities, to the poor, to your church? I mean, why would you do that? And you say, because Jesus rose. I have nothing to fear. He rules this world. He'll take care of me. Or someone says, you're celibate? You, you're living a life of sexual abstinence unless or until someday you get married? Why, why would you live that way? You say, because Jesus rose. Don't you realize I, I, there, eternity awaits me? I'm not living for the, just the passing pleasures of this life. I have a kingdom that's going to be given. Or someone says this to you. You mean you go to church every week to praise God? Even when your heart is breaking, 
Why would you do that? And you'd say, listen, Jesus rose from the dead. If the Father didn't abandon the Messiah to the grave, he will not abandon me to my sorrow. I always have reason to stand up and worship. And so what I'm saying is, we ought to just be praying, God, would you at least give me one area of my life where if somebody looks at me, they'd say, your life doesn't make sense. Unless Jesus rose, right? Unless he rose. Now, here's why. Here's why I believe God can answer that prayer for us. Here's why I believe he can, he can empower us to live that way. Let me tell you, believer in Christ, because we have nothing to fear. Did you hear that? Listen, Jesus rose from the dead. The grave has been conquered. Our sins are gone. Our future is glorious. Our Savior is living. We have nothing to fear. Amen? Christ is risen. So what? So what? Oh, man. Everything's different now. Now what? Without fear, without fear, we live for his glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, even as I say these words up here, I realize that the only one that can make this message powerful and true for any one of us is you. And I pray that you do that wherever, wherever each one of us is today. Some have been trusting you for years. Some maybe this is a new uh, experience for them. But would you meet us where we are and by your Holy Spirit, give us the gift of faith again today to trust you. Fill us with your joy. Lead us in your power. In Christ's name, amen.